One would think that our governmental agencies are here on our behalf to protect us and to make sure that we are able to live lives that are healthy and safe. That, unfortunately, is no longer a given. Today we are speaking with an expert about the topic of clean drinking water and what people can do to make sure they are bridging the gap governmental agencies are leaving for us. Clean drinking water, the power of knowing. That's our focus in this hour of an organic conversation. Your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. It is beyond disappointing to acknowledge that our governmental oversight is insufficient at best. The drinking water crisis in Flint, Michigan, brought forward a picture that one can adopt to many other products and public safety areas, from drugs to air and food, just to name a few. In the case of Flint, Michigan, public officials may or may not have known for a long time that there was an issue with the water, but either way, the consequences are long-term harm through lead poisoning, especially for children, brain developmental issues, and other physical illnesses. And what about the rest of the nation? Are we any safer? Clearly, we need a more robust and effective long-term solution when it comes to public safety. Today we'll hear it from an expert who has made public safety his career and we'll learn what we can do ourselves to make sure that, in this case, our water is safe to drink. Clean drinking water, the power of knowing, our focus here in this hour of an organic conversation. That and more when we come back right after the break. I'm Helge Helberg and this show is brought to you by Batiste Rum, the first eco-positive rum of the Caribbean. Ask for Batiste Rum at Trader Joe's and Whole Foods and other fine retailers. More information, batisterum.com. That's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. And thank you also to Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables that has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, Anyone can buy from Earl's Organic. Certified organic produce at earlsorganic.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. Clean drinking water, the power of knowing. That's our focus in this hour of an organic conversation. And we'll be discussing with an expert on public safety, the role of governmental agencies, in this case, when it comes to our drinking water and what we can do as informed citizens to bridge that gap that we are seeing, unfortunately, With us now is Dr. Eric Feigel-Ding. He's the founder and executive director of Toxin Alert. That's toxinalert.org, who's joining me today from Paris, France. Eric, do we have you on the show? Thank you. Happy to be here. 
So, of course, the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, brought into the media once again the role of governmental agencies, oversight uh, agencies that are supposed to keep us healthy and safe. And we found in our research your organization, Toxin Alert, who really has a kind of long-term solution, has really created the ability for people to put the power of knowing back into the consumer's hands. But I want to start with, with your history. You have a, a long history and career in public safety because the, the challenge of governmental oversight and making sure that government agencies do their job and communicate their findings well goes beyond drinking water. Can you give us a, just a brief summary on your work thus far? So I'm an epidemiologist, so and I've been working at Harvard School of Public Health for more than 12 years in, in tracking epidemics and unusual um, phenomenon is part of what we're trained as in, as epidemiologists. So in terms of many past things such as you know drug um, scandals like Vioxx or other data problems that have actually eluded the public, I'm very much passionate about trying to inform the public and public health specifically to really solve the things that um, government agencies are not doing or doing well enough. And so that's why when the Flint, Michigan water crisis happened, we were uh, revved my entire team into overdrive in order to really help solve this because the water crisis in America has really, really gotten out of hand. And why is that your focus? Why, what, is it, what is it about water where you feel that is worth you know, your, your professional career to really invest in right now? Well, it's, it's really talking about, there's many different things in life that make you unhealthy, but for children, um, especially lead poisoning and other uh, environmental toxins, such as arsenic, cadmium, mercury, but especially lead, it's really, really permanent. It's a lifetime damage that's almost irreversible. Unlike if you ate, you know, uh, certain poor foods and you had higher cholesterol and blood pressure, there's ways to solve all of those and correct those. But when it comes to lead poisoning, the, the IQ points and the other neurological damage that has is really, really irreversible. And that's why for things like water, drinking water poisoning, uh, we have to find a way to prevent it. And this is one of those things in which clearly there is a lot of information out there in the different water departments and states and government and maybe even people's own homes that they know. But what's the problem is that Others do not know. And yes. the vast majority of people do not know how to access that data. And so there's clearly a preventable modality here, but it's completely being overlooked. Yes, let's dive into that. Of course, contaminated drinking water. Uh, I think I, I pulled that number from your website, toxinalert.org, uh, is rated as a serious concern by 89% of Americans. Basically, everyone, and not just since Flint, is concerned about drinking water, but how much has there been a change in perception of what can we trust? Do you see that those cases really spike public interest in, in your work and in 
in governmental over agencies and their performance overall, or has this been an ongoing topic? Well, uh, in terms of in the public psyche, the drinking water contamination quality has in the past only received minor blips whenever it came to certain stories such as Aaron Brockovich movie many years ago, yes. but then it quickly faded. And it's not a perennially a typical top 10 um, health concern of the, of the people. More people are concerned about getting cancer and many other d diseases and pro health insurance problems. But since this Flint crisis, it's skyrocketed to basically number one, number two. And 89% is clearly, and this is just very serious. So clearly this is uh, something that stood out. And I think government is definitely uh, looking into it more. But you have to also realize that, A, there's also the bickering right now of whose fault it was that they're still trying to get over. But as consumers, we need to get over that bump. And we really need to solve that. But in solving that problem, government have ideas, but we really need to solve it now because this is something that affects our children's health for a lifetime. And, and you are saying, you know, high cholesterol is reversible, lead poisoning is not. And we're talking about water. It's one of the most f uh, fundamental human rights, in a way, to have clean drinking water. It's, it's the number one issue in developing countries. And we're finding now that it's actually number one or number two of a, of a crisis or a topic when it comes to, to health uh, in this country as well. That's what you're saying, right? Right, absolutely. So worldwide, clean, lack of access to clean drinking water is one of the largest contributors to mortality, disability, adjusted life years, and life, years of life lost. So that is absolutely indisputable. But what's crazy, what most people don't even imagine, is that in America, there are millions and millions of people, or by one estimate, over 18 million people drinking uh, lead toxic contaminated water in the United States alone, which it's almost astronomical to consider that in such a modern country, this still happens. And regardless of, uh, of income, it's not just, or geography, it's not just Flint, Michigan to the world. There are also major U.S. cities and quite wealthy U.S. cities that have very, very high or borderline high toxic levels of lead. And even what government considers toxic is in dispute because 15 parts per billion is the official EPA level of toxicity. But scientists well regard that 10 parts per billion is already very toxic, even though it's well below the government's uh, action level. And uh, FDA, for example, even regulates that anything over five parts per billion in bottled water is already too toxic. So there's many cities that are actually well above five, well above 10. That, and if you incur, if you include those, you're talking about, I would say, almost half the country is drinking contaminated water. So this is really a nationwide problem and international problem that people do not recognize. I'm speaking with Dr. Eric Feigl-Ding. He is the founder and executive director of Toxin Alert. That's toxinalert.org. In this hour of an organic conversation, clean drinking water, the power of knowing. Eric, before we go into your long-term solution and service, uh, what is the issue, just to frame that really well, uh, with governmental testing of well, stream, and groundwater mm -hmm. for safety? Yeah. So, first of all, it, 
we're talking about either municipal water in large and medium cities, Mm -hmm. as well as groundwater and well water that most small towns um, and rural America relies on. So even if you go into municipal water supplies, they are tested approximately um, given 25, 50 samples a year for most cities. And and they take a very, very small sample to basically say, oh, the water's safe for the entire city. And which is entirely unreliable. If you asked this uh, a major city like Boston, how, what do you think of Hillary or, or versus Donald Trump? You know, taking 25 to 100 uh, samples is not nearly enough to give you a good indication of with the true status. And even then, government um, guidelines just can say you can toss out the top 10% because they have a 90% rule. Even if 10% of the samples tested are well in excess, they can be 10 times, 100 times in excess of the toxicity level, it's okay. You can toss out the top 10% and still be under guideline regulations as long as the other samples are okay, which is also woefully inadequate. And even if you don't live in cities, which vast majority of, of Americans don't, the crazy thing is small cities are tested in so infrequently, like three to seven to once every nine years. And then among those truly rural areas that rely on wells, there's absolutely no regulation whatsoever. There's Everything is just purely by private um, testing and private regulation and monitoring. And so we're talking about huge, huge swaths of the country that has little to no testing on an annual basis. And even if it is tested, has very, very poor coverage and sampling. Well, this show is produced in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we hear the amazing water quality of Hetch Hetchy, our reservoir in the High Sierra, on a, on a daily or weekly basis. And one wonders, because Hetch Hetchy is four or five hours driving distance away, isn't it also the the quality of the pipes when we come to cities? To, I mean, so many so many uh, factors so, that that contribute to the water quality. Right, right. And so, if we want to dive deeper in terms of the problems, it's it's a combination of the water source problem. For example, Flint actually didn't have any uh, lead in the Flint mm-hmm. River per se. It was just very corrosive to the pipes, and the piping led to a lot of the old lead piping to leach out their lead. And so even though um, pipes, lead pipes, are, have been banned since the 1970s, there are many homes across the country, as you know, that are way older than 1970. Much of New England's homes are built that way and have not remediated their pipes. And even those some born, built after 1970 still have lead fixtures and um, and connectors. So these problems are, it's hard to predict based just based on the age of your home alone, and it's hard to predict just based on a variety of factors of where your water comes from. You really need localized testing and neighborhood testing of this neighborhood clearly has a lead sor- service line problem in the street that's contributing to lead. And, you know, these kind of information is completely lost. And so the main problem here is lead, 
levels and other toxin levels change throughout the year. So there's no single steady value. And so it needs to be tested throughout the year. How, how does it change throughout the year? With well, the in terms of temp- temperature, temperature, like what does temperature uh, runoff, do? Um, from, uh-huh. from the mountains, uh, runoff of additional corrosive elements. And so all these different things can affect how much a certain water uh, has certain of a certain concentration of these toxins. Mm-hmm. It's really, really complicated. And again, it's it's something that is not captured at all by current testing measures. But here's the thing: it's not just where water where you are in your town or your home. People drive frequently to neighboring towns to go to school, to go to work, to eat at restaurants. And all, I guarantee you, all restaurants use basically tap water to cook their food. And so. You need to know the water, not just in your small town, but in the entire surrounding area. And so this is why the information that's out there is absolutely inadequate. And the number of variety of different pipes, old pipes, new pipes, old homes, new homes, you really need a centralized way to actually find out the lead water quality. And you can't rely on just one city uh, report alone. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. My guest today is Dr. Eric Feigel Ding. He is the founder and executive director of toxinalert.org. In our focus on clean drinking water, the power of knowing. In the case of Flint, government officials knew at least about some of the problem. And tests were done. Flint, as many municipalities, had been tested in previous years. So you're saying small sample size, tossing the top 10%, and yet looking at the toxicity levels in Flint, it should still have alerted us. Why can't we trust the responsible handling of the results? Well, part of the problem in Flint, which is many multifactorial, is Actually, the earlier samples of problems actually did not come from government, but from private testing. And private testing specifically through a university and lots of other local officials. How is that possible? Why would they able to show that there's an issue and governmental testing did not? Because the government's testing, their sampling is much, much smaller. Mm-hmm. The, the number of samples needed to be collected for any um, water source is is very, very limited sample size. Some places only require 15, 25 samples. And only, like some major cities only need 50 samples. So these, the number of samples taken is highly, highly variable. Would you really trust a a polling of 15, 25 people to give you a sense of status in a major city with a couple hundred thousand or a million people? And so, A, that's a problem. And the, the, and how frequently it was updated, how often, how often the numbers are updated for the public is also an, a problem in how it's communicated. So if you actually look at the data on toxinalert.org, the original data for Flint looked completely normal. But once you add in all the subsequent uh, local and state and private testing, you could see that you know clearly Flint had a problem. So government data is useful, yes, but in itself, it's 
insufficient. We do want to talk about what people can do to address that insufficiency. Thanks for explaining the framework so well. Again, that is Dr. Eric Feigel-Ding. He's the founder of ToxinAlert.org. This is an organic conversation. Our focus in this hour is clean drinking water, the power of knowing. Eric, stay with us. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more. This show is brought to you by Bowman College, a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at one of their campuses or learn from home in a self-paced mentored distance learning program. For more information on a degree in holistic nutrition or culinary arts, bowmancollege.org. And Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. Clean drinking water, the power of knowing. That's our focus in this hour of an organic conversation. And on the phone with me from Paris, France, is Dr. Eric Feigel-Ding. He's the founder and executive director of Toxin Alert. That's toxinalert.org. Eric, before the break, you were saying that even though governmental samples were taken, it took universities and, and a much higher sample rate to show the issue, which translated to any city in the country, whatever really the municipality result, test results show of whether or not the drinking water is safe, you're bringing it with your organization, Toxin Alert, almost to a, each tap at a time level. How do you explain best what Toxin Alert offers? So Toxin Alert, it really solves two issues. It's one is the, the, the aggregation of data. Government data is actually useful. I do want to point out that, that many cities do have really, really good testing, while some cities have uh, less than optimal testing and less than optimal reporting to the federal government. So aside from those issues, the, the data is there, and, but it's not enough. What we're trying to say is we want to bring more people to submit their samples. So what we created is the first geosocial network for water, for drinking water that integrates government data from multiple, multiple sources, as well as a nationwide network of private citizens who can submit their own water samples or test results if they've already conducted their own private tests. And we aggregate all these lab-certified test results with the government samples to create a, a really good coverage map of water status in a, in a given region. And in addition to the government data, which we have EPA as well as U.S. Geological Survey, U.S. Geological Survey also covers um, waters, uh, surface waters like rivers and streams, which may or may not be drinking water per se, but which children um, may be playing with or from which people may fish and consume fish from, as well as groundwater and well water, which may 
um, contribute to drinking water in rural areas. So we're really trying to close the, the loophole with a combination of government data of different sources plus the private network data in which people can submit their own test results or submit their own water samples to get a private kit and then they can send the samples right back and then have the results go directly on the map in a, a semi-anonymized way, but, but which can alert everyone in their community. And so the second part of Talks and Alert is an alert system because water changes and, this, and the new data comes out all the time, but people don't check it like the weather report. So what we actually want people to do is to actually be on the pulse of any unusual water data in their area. Because that, if, if one blip encourages others to check their water and then that finds a second blip and finds a third blip, we could potentially prevent another Flint water poisoning disaster. And we can actually alert people where certain areas may be problematic, you know, going to restaurants and using the tap water there in neighboring town may be a problem if you commute there often. And really, really get kind of like winter storm warnings and hurricane or tornado alerts equivalent for whenever there's a toxic water event near them. That way people can be most informed and access the most latest government data from all these different sources and private sources that they otherwise would not have access to. And in the in the case of Flint, you're saying it is disaster, and, and really it is. If you look at Toxin Alert, there's a an icon where you can click on the map and you put in your city and your state and it zooms in. And it first, if you do that for Flint, Michigan, it shows the governmental testing that was done. And you're right, it all looks pretty normal like most other cities in the country. If you then add the uh, testing that was done through your organization that you were able to gather, all of a oh, sudden... Just correction. That data came actually from the, the state and local government that added their their test results oh good so um so those were individual level homes uh that provided their um water samples that went on the map the government data uh from the epa only shows one pin for most small towns and that is the summary average after dis discarding the top 10 percent highest great so thanks for this clarifying is, this is that. why their yes. algorithm is clearly insufficient for capturing so much of the variability. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for clarifying that. So the discrepancy between what happened done and then what was done sub subsequently, which is kind of where Toxin Alert comes in, that that could be or would be, uh, if everyone uses Toxin Alert, that could be a map of the entire country to know in that much detail, really per household, if not per faucet, uh, what the quality of drinking water is or what the contamination levels are. It's shocking if you click on the center of Flint and uh, very beautifully displayed this round ball of graphics pops out and every single sample uh, you can click on is displayed and it shows you know contamination levels of lead to 300 times, 200 times, 400 times over what is what is the EPA level of um, 15 parts right. per billion, as you said. And so I think that is just an example of how this could definitely improve people's lives because that kind of information is not on the fingertips of any other 
resource. And, I, and also, I don't want to begrudge the government data because there are the government data already shows that there's you know thousands of water systems across country that are in violation of some sort for mm-hmm. Clean Drinking Water Act rules. And but it should stimulate us, right? You're saying it should stimulate us to go further, to dig deeper, to see if our house is affected and to what, Absolutely. It, what degree. And, and the other thing is there are parts of Flint and major cities that are somewhat high and some parts of the city that are much lower. But then when it, the data is summarized together, you do not know. So I think the map tool is really, really key because anyone can type in their address and also save the address to view all the toxic uh, contamination um, pins in the local area. And whenever they save their address with an account, they actually can get alerted subsequently with any government data uh, update or any private data update whenever something basically triggers an alert. So going to the map, saving your address is really key to stay abreast of all the latest data. Because checking the weather daily is something people do. But checking data like this is something, it's infrequently, but you really need to know when there is an alert. And checking the weather, the weather usually doesn't give you lead poisoning. What are the issues of water? You talked about uh, arsenic, lead, uh, cadmium, just a, a few other heavy metals in the beginning of the show. But if you look at your findings, what are the biggest issues in drinking water in this country, at least, today? Our data right now is focused on the heavy metals, and obviously lead is one of the key problems. Yes. But it's also well known that chromium is, um, especially hexavalent chromium-6, uh, which is correlated with total chromium, is also a very um, big problem. Yes. And, and that's, the, that's the toxin that was featured in the movie Aaron Brockovich. Mm-hmm. But I think lots of other contaminants... Um, are in the, in the system and high coliform levels, which means basically fecal matter bacteria, has also been found in a lot of water systems. And those kind of things like fecal matter are also, the violations of those are also in our database. So as one explores, you can find more than just lead poisoning. And as we get more funding, which is always something we hope the public will support us on, we can add more and more toxins and data to our platform. As a, but we pu- have a lot of data on these other coliform and bacteria and other contaminants as well. Yeah, as a public safety expert, what's the source that you can identify if there's, I'm sure there's more than one, but what's the main source of fecal bacteria in our drinking water? Oftentimes it's contamination from uh, sewage pipe. runoff or you know, farming runoff that's not sufficiently treated. So uh, different water systems have different levels of treatment. And so uh, I can't attest to one specific reason per, per se, but uh, it's co- elevated coliform is elevated in many, many water uh, systems nationwide. And especially for well water, because the, other, the, most, the biggest fear is actually well and ground drinking water, because those are completely tr- uh, water tr- treatment plant free. And hence, it's very susceptible to, for example, um, pollution from fracking, um, from runoff from a lot of these farms. And so these kind of water are really, really sensitive to all sorts of contaminants. How do they get into the drinking water system? Through a broken pipe or or groundwater? Like what's the the point of entry? 
If it's for a city, it might be inadequate treatment. But if it's uh, not a city, but a rural area that re- re- uh, relies on well water, it just contaminated drinking water, oh. and the runoff was not contained adequately, and it spilled into local uh, aquifer. So these are all different scenarios. And sure. you know, I can't comment on a single s- s- uh, specific example sure. because there are so many different reasons of why yes. And where these uh, toxin contaminants come from, and and that's not our goal. Really, we want to uh, alert people. Here, here's if you live here, you need to be cognizant. You need to either drink bottled water or filter your water, or you know challenge your community to clean the water. So if they and get the in- government action aspect is really what we. Government and community action is really what we want to emphasize. What are the services that you offer? You have the map. Um, you offer a test kit with toxinalert.org that people can order. Is that correct? Right. And the testing, I want to point out, is completely nonprofit. We offer the test completely at costs to include whatever the laboratory charges. And so this, we want to encourage people to do it directly from home. And tests emulate some... Um, the standard procedures for EPA testing as closely as possible, given it's a private testing. And basically, people re- order and they receive a simple kit. How much and is the, the test kit? So the test kit includes uh, six heavy metals, and it's in, it's about $59, I believe, in our latest update. And basically, it includes shipping. This sends it to you. You fill it up. It sends directly back to a lab, and the lab automatically, via an integrated laboratory platform, integrates onto our map. And so all this should be as convenient as a at-home testing system as possible, because we want to encourage people to get their t- water tested and encourage others in their community to get tested as well. And what's the, more what's data the turn? More data is more power. Of course. What's the turnaround time for somebody who listens to the show, orders the test on toxinalert.org, uh, $59, 60 bucks, you, you get the kit, you, you take six different heavy metal samples, you send them in. What, when will they see their result on the on map? They will see their result uh, from the time they order. They, the order ships to them in less than a week. And from there, depending on when they, whenever they return it back to the lab, it will take about about two to three, um, maybe four weeks, depending on the shipment and delay. But as soon as it's up there, it's just simply one sample that you submit, and that sample goes to the lab, and your results go on online. And it's it's anonymized by your specific home or house number if you're worried about revealing, not revealing your specific address, but it's close enough so that it can give a general warning to those in your community around you. Great. We're almost out of time, but it's such an amazing opportunity to have you on the phone with us. Give us your best advice for somebody you just mentioned, filter, bottled water, to ensure their water is safe until it's been tested or if there are some issues, but it's not the worst water possible, what is what is the healthiest mm-hmm. alternative? Bottled water, glass bottled water, or so filters? Obviously, do um, they do the job? Bottled water is not a very eco-sustainable way of hydration long-term for a large population. It's only in an emergency. So I would say filter your water, 
I think that's very, very important. But also, if you're unable to filter, another EPA-recommended strategy is to cold flush any uh, drinking water for half a minute or five minutes, if possible, even though it's not very reasonable. So basically, cold flush your water. What does that mean um, exactly? So it means to turn on your faucet and let it run. Now, again, it's not environmentally very, very safe, but in terms of the early morning tap, because the early morning tap water most likely has the highest levels of lead and certain contaminants because it builds up in the pipes stagnant overnight. So flushing the pipes to clear all of that overnight stagnant water is really, really key for truly ensuring that you lower your levels of contaminants as much as possible. So don't drink the first uh, faucet water that comes out of tap in the morning. But later in the day, it's relatively safer because it's been used for the water has not been stagnant for a while. So that's one strategy. I think filtering is also a very reasonable strategy. And bottled water, it's it's obviously much safer, but it's not clearly not very eco-friendly or recommended for everyone. And the, but and the key is to find out. And the filters do the job as far as you can see if they are a fairly expensive or well-made filter to address mostly, as you said, heavy metals and perhaps bacteria that should do the trick. Right. I think I don't want to name any brand yes. name because I'm not here to promote any, but I think most of the conventional commercial filters are reasonably act adequate in filtering out the vast majority of, of basic toxins. There, there could be uh, certain toxins that are extremely sure that not every filter can do, but I think for things like lead, using a, a basic filter would remove most of it. But again, you also have to change your filters, and it's not economically feasible for every low-income American to access uh, something like that. Yes. Um, but it's it's a stopgap. And the power of knowing, of course, is key here. That's Dr. Eric Feigl-Ding, the founder and executive director of Toxin Alert. How long has Toxin Alert been around? Well, we've been building this from our team for the past um, half a year, but we actually have only premiered it. So we are definitely, definitely uh, encouraging the public to submit their water samples. And I think the power will only grow over time as more and more individual level data is added. But in the meantime, I think the data that we have from government, different government agencies, and which will continuously update will still be a, a very, very valuable tool for the public health. And, of course, people can order those kits at toxinalert.org on your website and find out you know, their exact quality of, of water at their home. You mentioned it's also a nonprofit. How right. can people support you otherwise? Well, that's a very good question. So as a nonprofit, we're definitely seeking to raise um, public donations And these donations really help us uh, with our engineering. You can go to toxinalert.org, and then you can also f find on the website um, an ability to donate. Or if you want to make a larger contribution, you can directly also contact us. But we are rolling out even more campaigns in the near future around schools nationwide. And with each of those, we're encouraging people to donate to local schools. So there's many exciting things coming out that we hope that people will support us on. But we built this project because 
this public health and children's health, especially something that hurts children's health for their lifetime, is something that needed to be built now. So we built it entirely out of volunteer, volunteer engineering time, volunteer scientists who together put, came together to build this. So we really appreciate everyone's support in making this success because at the end of the day, only the public stands to benefit. Of course, and to spread the word, of course, through social media, because you called it in the beginning a uh, social... Geo-social network. Yes, geo-social network. So let's use social media to spread the word about this geo-social network. Again, toxinalert.org, the website. Thank you so much for making time and for having created this amazing tool to empower us to at least know what's going on with our drinking water. Again, the foundation of our existence, clean water around the world, and even in the United States, compromised. Find out, toxinalert.org. And um, thanks so much for making the time and all your work on this. We'll have you back. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Dr. Eric Feigl-Ding, who joined us today from Paris, France, the founder and executive director of Toxin Alert. And even though Dr. Eric Feigelding joined us today from Paris, France, of course, Toxin Alert is a U.S.-based nonprofit based out of northern Virginia, D.C. area. ToxinAlert.org, the website. We're staying with the topic of health, public health, sustainability in the fields, organic agriculture, water and food. Of course, two very related topics. The update from the world of produce from the produce dock directly our consumer segment of what to buy this week what to look for how to buy it how to store it and what to do with it at home organic fruits and vegetables here is what's in season And with us now, I hope, is Earl Herrick, the voice of the San Francisco produce dog, Mr. Organic, who has been part of this show with this consumer segment on what to buy, what to look for, how to store it, and what to do with it at home for many years. Earl, are you there? Hello, Helga. You can count on it. I'm oh, here. so good. Right, this yes. is like, this is the, <laughs> the only thing that's steady in life. It's change, and it's you. <laughs> It's just great. So I'll buy that. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. Here we are. Here we are. Yeah. What do you have up your sleeve? What's what's happening? Well, well you know, we're gonna we're gonna extend that conversation into ah. probably the most popular piece of fruit on the on the planet, and that's the banana. Um, wow. And I have uh, with me today is Patrick Stewart, my director of operations and head of our banana program, and. He's going to fill you in on everything you never even thought you knew about bananas. <laughs> so, That's so great. Uh, yeah, he's been doing our program for a number of years, and he's. Uh, I'm going to tee him up right here. So I will talk to you later. Great. Patrick Stewart. Okay, we'll have you back next week. Thanks so much, yep. Earl. Take care. <laughs> I hope. Hey, Patrick. Welcome to the show. How are Thank you? Thank you. I'm doing well. Thank you. So we were just talking, we had a conversation about tropicals with Rodrigo, about pineapples, mangoes, papayas. It is that time for you guys, of course, year-round. Earl introduced the banana. You are the head of that program. What is it about banana? Is it still the most bought produce item in the country? It is the most bought produce item in the country. And I believe that it's within the top 
five items in the entire grocery store. Why is that? What is the attraction? I mean, bananas are wonderful, and they you know, have been since baby times yeah. part of my life. But what is it about bananas that makes them just uh, the absolute number one? Well, I think, you know, uh, for one of the obvious reasons, they come in their handy, uh, their own handy packaging pack. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I think that appeals to a lot of people. Um, it's easy to grab and go and put in a backpack and peel and eat later. I think that uh, generally the sweetness and the tropical flavor of a mm -hmm. banana just kind of appeals to people um, across the spectrum. And, and they're healthy. You know, they're high in potassium. Uh, they're high in, uh, in good carbohydrates and sugars. And um, I think, you know, generally they're looked at as a, a, a healthy snack. They are a healthy snack. So when we talk about bananas, are we talking about the same banana? Is it? I mean, now you can see maybe some apple bananas here and there, but there is this kind of classic banana that everyone would identify as banana. Not like with potatoes, where you have fifteen now, finally again, fifteen varieties in the store, fingerlings and such. Is there only one, indeed, one banana that we are selling in the country? For the most part, yes. In in in. Mass production, it would be the Cavendish variety banana. Um, that that is the uh, the one type of banana uh, that you're going to see in all the stores. Um, there are some uh, smaller um, offshoots or, or varietals: the apple banana, red bananas, baby bananas, just to uh, name the few. But there there are actually hundreds and hundreds of banana varietals. But oh, the Cavendish really? the Cavendish was created ultimately to be able to grow with the appropriate level of yield and as well as um, a variety that can uh, stand up to the ripening process that we have here in the state. And you only, of course, Earl's Organic does only deal with organic produce, in this case, organic bananas. Do you? What are some of the issues that you find with non-organic production or, or what are the you know, the better management tools uh, in, in organic? What makes an organic banana organic? Well, ultimately, you know, the, the, the standard for organic production, which is uh, produced without the use of uh, synthetic herbicides or fertilizers. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's the most important thing. You know, uh, because, as we mentioned before, banana is pretty well protected by its skin. A lot of the spraying that happens on the conventional side rarely gets to the end user. But if we only look at it in, in that small microscope, yeah, uh, we're, not really, we're not really doing the justice. Because the fact of the matter is that hundreds and hundreds of tons of, of chemicals are put into the soil and into the water sources of, of uh, conventional grow, uh, banana growing regions. Yeah, and those are really sensitive ecosystems as they are yes. tropical and close to ocean and affecting ocean life perhaps runoff just as it does here in the States, but in this case in tropical environments. It seems silly to ask. We're always asking the segment, how do you pick the perfect you know, produce item? In ah. this case, the perfect banana, because m most people have bought bananas their entire life. But mm. it's interesting to me, the variance. I think I know how to pick a banana, and I clearly mm -hmm. don't, uh, because I've, I've had them firm and almost chalky, even though mm -hmm. they felt good on the outside, mm -hmm. too, a little bit too sugary for me. Mm -hmm. And and once in a while, when you hit it right, a really, really perfect banana is outstandingly different. It's really, yes. really amazing. What's your, what do you go by? <laughs> well, I, you know, the standard measure would be color. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that there's a, there's a spectrum of personal preference there. Some people like theirs on the greener side. Some people like theirs on the yellower side, up, up to and including spotted and even dark bananas, which ultimately means uh, the change of starches sugar. to sugar uh-huh. in that banana. Yeah. So if you like it a little sweeter, you're going to want it a little more yellow or spotted. If you like it less, you want it a little bit more green. So um, ultimately... It, it, it can be difficult because uh, to, to choose that perfect banana because there's some things that happen on the ripening side that the consumer really doesn't know. So sometimes if you know they find their perfect yellow banana and, and they and, and they go buy it, it's wonderful, and they go back the next time and again they buy that perfect yellow banana and gosh, this time it's a little starchy. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and and that can just be because um, well, first off, it's a fruit and it's unpredictable. And it's not always going to be the same every single time. And try as we may, you know, we can't harness that predictability sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, tra- the, the changes from starches to sugar, sometimes they take a little bit longer uh, than, than, you know, the previous ripening cycle. So, But you're saying a yellow banana without spots gives you maybe the best middle ground and then you can, you can go from there? Nice. Wow. The world of bananas. Who knew? Uh, <laughs> and that's all organic. Will it? Will they say Earl's organic or will they say if somebody really wants your bananas, what would they look for? What's the farm name? Oh, our, our bananas, we, we work, uh, we partner with a, a grower in Mexico called uh, Coleman Organic. Uh-huh. And they've been growing bananas for about 60 years and they started growing organic about 15 years ago. And They became fair trade certified approximately seven years ago. Wow! So they are certified organic and certified fair trade. Yes, Coleman, wonderful, and all that on the website, of course. That's earlsorganic.com. Thank you so much, Patrick. Wonderful work, and we'll have you back soon. Excellent. Thank you. Great. Thank Thank you. you. Take care. Bye bye. That's Patrick Stewart, one of the buyers at Earls Organic Produce. In this case, the gentleman who's in charge for the banana program. Again, that's earlsorganic.com for more information. And that was a full hour here on An Organic Conversation on food and water. We heard from toxinalert.org, a new nonprofit organization out of Northern Virginia, Washington area, uh, Dr. Eric Feigel-Ding, who is providing really easy-to-use test kits for your drinking water quality at home and to supplement governmental data to make sure that Flint, Michigan will never happen again. And also, of course, the update from the produce doc, What's in Season with Earl Herrick, and that's earlsorganic.com, the website. I'm Helge Helberg. This is An Organic Conversation. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks so much for listening. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate Producer, Kristen Ponger. The show is made possible through the fantastic support of our underwriters, Bowman College, a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at one of their campuses or learn from home in a self-paced mentored distance learning program. For more information on a degree in holistic nutrition or the culinary arts, bowmancollege.org Thank you also to Earl's Organic Produce 
a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables that has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, anyone can buy from Earl's Organic. Certified organic produce at earlsorganic.com. And Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family owned and operated. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. And Batiste Rum, the first eco-positive rum of the Caribbean. Ask for Batiste Rum at Trader Joe's and Whole Foods and other fine retailers. More information at batisterum.com. That's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. For more episodes and our podcasts, go to anorganicconversation.com. And of course, you can follow us on facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. Our Twitter handle is Talk Organic, and we're also on Instagram. I'm Helge Helberg, host and executive producer of An Organic Conversation, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Thank you so much for listening.